The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 11th chapter. Glory The Gospel reading this morning is indeed from St. Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, and can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1613. Luke records, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer to him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. A big week this week, and uh, lots of external uh, influences. As you remember last week, you're being pulled from all different directions. Did that happen to you this week? It did to me. Pulled in all different directions, feeling a little more like a Martha and less like a Mary sitting at his feet. It's more like a Martha doing things 
double-minded, not focusing on the task at hand. For example, um, some of you have heard that uh, our 10-year-old black lab was uh, in bad shape on Thursday night and all day Friday. And it was heartbreaking. And um, uh, she is just so important to this family as anyone who you know, has pets would know. And, and um, you know, she means an awful lot to my almost 23-year-old son. Got her when he was 12-ish. She rescued this family from sorrow and a dark cloud that came over us when uh, our middle son passed away. She was born just two days after Graham died. So she was a gift. And I don't know about you, but part of me had a little bit of a problem praying to God for a dog. But I did. Because I read the words of Jesus, I know the words of Jesus, you do too, and that is ask. There's not anything that is so small that he isn't noticed for it, and there's nothing too big for him. And, and, I, and I asked for him to help and close it with, your will be done, Father, not my will. And, and, and I'm, I am happy to report that, um, albeit, it wasn't her last trip to the vet, but you know, I got an old dog. She's a little older than I am in, you know, but in dog years, but she slipped her disc. And so in this thing, you know, what do I learn from it? Well, the power of prayer, yes, um, and the comfort that comes from it, the uh, experience of my son to see uh, this beautiful creature that he loves and his heart break and in, in, in the feeling that he got, the humility and the humbleness that came upon him for knowing that he couldn't fix her. And I got another lesson from the father to this father of what it's like to, to watch your children suffer. And, and I would have done anything and still would to do anything for that boy. And the Father is no different than that. In our lesson this morning, Jesus is asked a question, teach us to pray. Well, what a great source to go to. You've heard me say it countless times. Before we say the Lord's Prayer, let us pray together the perfect prayer that Jesus taught us. God, gave that prayer to us. And yet some in their pride might say, well, you don't really mean it if you all say it together. No. No, he gave us that. And it matters. And it means something. How do I know? Well, God with skin on, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, said so. He told us how to pray. And yet, he sends a story and why would he tell this story of uh, a man asleep, his family's all tucked in, and there's a knock on the door, and when you, <laughs> would you get up in the middle of the night to answer your door? You know? When I read that uh, and hear that, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, that's a hard no, pal. <laughs> Nobody home. 
And, and I imagine the hearers at the time would go, yeah, I mean, that's kind of unreasonable. I mean, it's, it's night. It's, you know, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on mind. Has anyone ever said that? Huh? I mean, that's pretty human. And, and it's okay to think that. We're not Jesus Jr., but we are children of God. So he, he tells the story and he says, now, you know, the guy is in need and, and not because, you know, uh, anything great. It's audacity and consistency and it's knocking and eventually he'll get up and give you all that you need. And I kind of take that as like, just take it and go away. Right? Just here, go. But that's not the nature of God. The nature of God is to get up. The nature of God is to meet your needs. And again, he's comparing and contrasting how we would react to how God the Father reacts. And he breaks it down even more where he does that simile of if your kid is hungry, are you going to give him a viper? Are you going to give him a scorpion? I mean, if you know how to give good gifts, just think how much better God's gifts are. And yet, we hear that, but do we really does it plant? God hears your prayers. God's desire is to give you peace. God's gift to you is his Holy Spirit. God's gift to you and me was his son on that cross. God's gift is given to those who don't deserve it. But have knocked on that door. In the quiet of solitude and when you're by yourself and you're in despair, have you ever felt like, I have no right to ask for these things? Has your conscience ever said, you know, all of that assurance that you hear in church, and that's not for you. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, have you ever had your conscience just rail on you when, when after a sin that you've committed, and it's daily, has your conscience ever raked you over the coals, over the, oh, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of flesh? Matt from Utah, <laughs> Ryan from Minnesota, when I go like this, it's flesh. I'm talking about the skin, and this, that's the, just kind of the inside. Sorry to point you out again, but there you go. Why is this guy rubbing his fingers? It's flesh. I can't do, you can't help but sin because we are in this flesh, and the flesh is always sinning, and, and then the conscience says, you're not worthy. And it could put you in despair. Has it ever done that to you? That's Satan. That's Satan that is coming and trying to put a wedge between you. And he's working hard at it every day. He's working hard at it every day on me, on all pastors, and on all people who he calls his own children. 
again this week, pulled from all different directions. I was really broken hearted yesterday evening to read of a pastor in uh, North Carolina. And I won't name him, but you can Google it. And he said, as he stepped down from his ministry, and it's a mega church, it's a big one. He's an author. He said, by all measurements that I have, by all measurements that I have for defending a, defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. That's what he wrote. Here's a man that, from this particular theology of glory, felt, was taught to believe that it's Jesus Christ and him crucified plus me being a good person, plus me walking the talk, plus me trying to be more Christ-like in all of my actions. And, and he wrote books about dating and, and how he abstained from dating and, and that how he courted his wife in, in such a manner that was above board and that was, that was honoring her. And he preached purity and he preached all of these things. And, and, and here's the problem for him. And for all pastors, and for all followers of Christ, do you practice what you preach? And when you don't, what happens? Well, in the, in the theology of glory, in the theology of glory, one more time, is it's Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected, plus me doing or plus me not doing. And that's not biblical. That is the preaching of a God that doesn't exist, of a nature of God that doesn't exist. The preaching and the proclamation that you hear from this church and from every Lutheran church that is accountable and preaches Christ in him, Christ, Christ in him crucified, period, for the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? It means I don't add anything. It means that even though that I sin and even though that I am in my conscience and, and, and Satan is attacking me or attacking you, God already knew. God already knew the shortcomings that you would have. God already knew the bad words you did or the bad behavior you did or the bad thoughts. You, whatever it is, I'm not going to make a list for you. Mine's too long and you don't want to see it. But Satan is going in there and accusing you, and he did it to Luther as well, and Luther has a way. And I, it's, There's a lot of things I remember from seminary, but this one, it, 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 it involves flatulence. Luther was pretty rude kind of guy. 
And he says, every morning, Satan stands at the foot of my bed and accuses me of all these things. And when he's done, I agree with him. I am all those things. But in Christ, I am his child. And so I toot and swish him off with that. That was Luther. That's about how much he worried about it. Yeah, he was persecuted. Yeah, his conscience hurt him. But then he went to Christ and him crucified, and he knew that the bill was paid. One of the problems that we have in the churches across America is this, this false uh, theology. It's, it's one of the problems that Luther would say is that nobody fights the real fight. That Luther called that, 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 that we're not defending the faith at all. And one of the things that this uh, pastor was being taught at the time he was coming up and in, in preaching himself, I listened, is he wasn't preaching. He wasn't preaching Christ at all. In fact, we need to get to the point where um, we have to just call out this imbecilic blindness for what it is, this blindness that says that it's you and Jesus and, 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 and you have to work your salvation. Why? Well, because the churches are, are producing atheists. They're producing people that, that, that fall away from God because the standard by which they are being preached to and being ascribed to perform at is so lofty that no one can stand. And, and you know it by these kind of words like the sin sniffers and fruit inspectors. Have you ever heard that? Well, it doesn't seem to be bearing good fruit. Have you ever heard? Have you ever said that? It look, oh, man, you don't seem to be producing good fruit. Well, never take a chance or miss a chance to, to twist the Bible and verses within Scripture to your own benefit. When, when it is said that you'll know them by their fruit, that isn't about the average Joe. It's not about you in the congregation or your neighbor or anything like that. It was Jesus telling him to beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers that'll come and preach a different gospel than what Paul had preached. Beware that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of that because they are not giving you a light load or, or a yoke that is easy. They're just not. And it causes people to say, I wonder if he ever was saved. I can guarantee that this pastor, after preaching and after laying there by himself, and people come, maybe, maybe people prior to that came up to him and said, how do you pull it off, pastor? I mean, what you write is truthful about how to, to be living and walking in purity. How do you pull it off? And, and maybe he gave an answer, but in the quiet of the night by himself, he was asking, how do I pull this off? How do I pull this off?
he said, by all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Did you, did you hear that? Let me ask you some questions. Does, uh, does baptism save? Well, yeah, it does. And that's, that's part of it. You could ask any of these people, these pastors mainstream, about uh, doesn't Jesus save and isn't, aren't we saved by faith alone? Christ alone, faith alone. I mean, you can ask these pastors, isn't that what it is? Isn't a man saved by faith alone, not by his works? And they would give an answer. But do you want to get into the crux of it? You want to ask and find out really where a person's coming from? You ask that question. Does baptism save? Does this water, combined with the word, and the Holy Spirit and the faith of the one receiving, does that save? And if somebody, well, these pastors, you'd be squeezing the venom out of their fangs. Because they won't go there. They won't say, yes, baptism saves. They'll say, no. That's a man-made construct. They'll say things like, baptism is merely a outside proclamation, a symbol outside of an inward transformation, nothing more than that. Scripturally, we know that baptism does say, we know that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit does come upon that individual. We know that it is a means of grace. We know that it does assure salvation of the one who receives it. And that's in the Bible. You want to know where it is? Come and see me. I will give you a copy of Luther's small catechism. I'll walk through you with it. Walk with you through it. It's there, folks. Baptism saves. Does the sacrament of the altar save? Does the baptism of the does the sacrament of the altar impart grace? Yes, it does. But if you were to ask these mainstream pastors, does it save? Does it impart grace? They would say no. It's a cracker or a piece of bread, and it's juice. Or it's wine. And that's it. It's a symbol. No. We take Jesus at his word. He says, this is my body given for you. He didn't say, this is kind of like my body. This is only symbolic of my body. This really isn't necessary. It's just really a nice thing to do when you're eating or after you're done. Do this out of respect for me. He did not say. We take him at his word. He says, this is my blood. 
a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Now, he didn't really mean that. No, he meant it. Because it's true. Well, pastor, how in the world can such things happen through just mere bread and mere wine? Well, he said so. Well, how? I don't exactly get it. There's a mystery. But he said it. And we know that he is and promises to be in and on and above and below these elements. He promises, as Paul pointed out in our scripture today, he's joined to you guys in your baptism. And Paul says, since we died a death like his, surely we will enjoy, surely we will experience a resurrection like his. That's a fact. Do you notice my body given for you? What part of you participates in that? My blood shed for you. What part of you participated in that? You receive it. And through this simple gift, you receive eternal life. Yeah, but I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know, I am too. Yeah, but some of my sins are really bad. Yeah, well, before time began, he knew. And he is always faithful. Even when we're not. And so, back to this pastor He's broken. He's been broken under the weight of the yoke that others put on him and that he helped put on other people too. That is seven steps to a better prayer life. Wealth. God wants you to be rich. You just need to ask for it. Blab it and grab it. Jesus wants you to be rich. Look at me. Well, don't look at me, because you, you know me. But that is not a proclamation. That's, a, that's, a, that's that wealth, theology of wealth. And no, it's not a sin to have wealth, but that isn't the point of Christ. And that is part of the theology of glory. Because the difference is the theology of the cross. Straight on at that cross, Christ crucified period. And yet we just can't help because our flesh says there's got to be something I have to do. Let me just finish this because I know you're ready. I am not preaching to you today that says uh, Theology that go ahead and sin boldly. I hope nobody thinks that. I sin and you sin. But know that when, not if, when you slide back, that the words that we begin 
at the beginning of this service are not just idle words we speak together like any other words, like the Lord's Prayer or pretty soon the, the Apostles' Creed. Those words that we say together as we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and things we have done and things we have left undone. And then there's this beautiful thing where we say, if, if well, more law here. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? But the antidote to that is, is if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just is quick to, to forgive our sins. And, and in the name of the Father, in the name and for his son's sake, your sins were forgiven. And you are baptized. So walk up here wet to the altar and meet Jesus because that's his real presence. This pastor will be restored. I have no doubt. But he'll be restored when he comes to accept that he has no part in his own salvation. He'll be restored when he realizes that everything that he needed to do has already been done by him on that cross. And if he needs this burning bush, like so many people say, oh, I need a burning bush, give me a sign, then come to the altar because it is prepared for you. He meets you. Are you happy about that? Are you ready to meet Jesus at the altar? I am too. In the name of Jesus, amen.